Hello, I'm Emily. And I'm Catherine, Emily's mom. And this is Macabre Minds. We're back after the new year with a new episode. Yes. Um. So this case I pulled from a Netflix documentary Ooh. called The Texas Killing Fields. Have you oh, seen that one? I, I tried to watch it, but dad kept, <laughs> dad kept falling asleep. And it <laughs> was kind of monotone-like. Um, but I do know the gist of it about it was back when Texas was really booming. There was a lot of building yeah. going on. So there were a lot of um, migrant workers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a certain area of um the demographics where bodies were being found yes yeah pretty much the calder fields in league city texas were known for body dumps and mysterious disappearances and that's where um one of the areas where this happened and there were lots of like oil fields and bayous and just open non-residential area that is kind of happening a lot of like the like the areas were just known as like places to dump trash bodies like whatever um and it was nicknamed the killing fields um so on april 6th 1984 this uh a family dog on calder road ran into the woods and came back with a human skull oh yeah, so the family went to look, and they found a skeleton of a woman. And two years later, two boys riding bikes found another skeleton only 25, 25 yards away from where that first one was found. Yikes. So, um, and then... There was another victim, and all three of these victims were found just yards from each other. So the area is being used, like, multiple times. Yeah. For the same thing. All right. Tim Miller, who is the founder of Texas Equisearch, found a body while riding his horse. Um, hence the name of his company, uh, Equisearch his company steps in and helps find like missing people and bodies and stuff like that and research for cold cases and things like that. Yeah. And Tim Miller, who founded this company, he's um, in 1984, his daughter, Laura went missing. Um, And she had walked out to a payphone because they had just moved in and their phone was not hooked up to their house yet. And the payphone was less than a half a mile away from her house. So it wasn't that far, but like you had to walk to it, obviously. Um, her mother was with her initially, but left to go on an errand while she was on the phone. And she never came home after that. Oh, God. Yeah. Mother's worst, worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. She was 16 years old, and at first, her family thought it was a medical problem um, because she had to take medicine twice a day for seizures. So they thought maybe something 
medically happened to her and she like couldn't make it home or got confused and like wandered off somewhere. Yeah. Um so they assumed or or maybe somebody f- saw her having a seizure and took her to the hospital. So they went to local hospitals looking for her and did not find her anywhere. And the police said she was a runaway. Um <laughs> they just like assumed yeah, they that just, the parents that's just what they say. are yeah mistaken teenagers run away all the time yeah um but when she was at that payphone she was calling her boyfriend to come over for a barbecue at her house that was going to be going on that night and her boyfriend actually showed up to the house like hey i'm here for the party and all of her meds were at the house and they were like that's not someone who's gonna run away like she knows she has to take these and she had like plans and she didn't run off with her boyfriend because he showed up at our house. Um, so they knew that wasn't true. Um, but the police basically said, oh, Laura can get her meds anywhere, meaning they really thought she left to, like, get drugs and stuff get like drugs. that. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, Laura's case kind of goes nowhere. They don't have any leads or anything, even when they finally do believe that... Um, she wasn't a runaway any longer, but it took them way too long to, like, change their mind about that. Um, And then 11 months, or I'm sorry, going back, um, Tim Miller, Laura's father, found out that another girl had disappeared before Laura around the same time. And he's like, oh, so now they're getting really worried when they find out about this other girl. And her name was Heidi Faye. Um, but her family called her Heidi. She went missing 11 months before in 1983. Hmm. Um, Heidi was also at a payphone. She had stopped to call for a ride because she was going to Houston. Um, and the clerk at the store saw her making the call, but doesn't recall seeing anyone else or when she left. Yeah. And the police said, don't go to the media. Don't put posters out. She probably ran away. So this is a pattern. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then to say, don't do this, like, don't put posters out. I mean, yeah, really, they they could have done that anyway. I mean, they could have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I'm sure when the police tell you that, you know, they're they're, they are the authority. So you kind of go along with what Mm -hmm. they say, especially back then, I think. But her family, her family didn't. They said no way, and they searched anyway. They said, okay. "If you're not gonna do it, we're gonna do it." Yeah. So they were interviewing people, asking questions, and her grandfather even wrote down like everything he could learn about it, and he made tapes of like his interviews with locals and things like that. Um, like they were really invested in it, and because the police weren't, so right. Uh, but her remains were not found until April 1984. Mm. And her remain, Hedy's remains were actually um, what that family dog and that family that I mentioned earlier found. That was Hedy. Um, yeah. She had severe broken ribs and trauma was listed as her cause of death. So, like, severe yeah. blows to her body. Yikes. The payphone that Laura was last seen at was the same payphone that Heidi was last seen at. Oh. Um, 
So but the same police, area. Uh-huh. Same exact spot. Same exact. Yeah. Yeah. I keep seeing his tail. It's like a shark <laughs> in the distance. Like, <laughs> yeah. Milo's tail for the listeners. Oh, his squeaker is so loud. So sorry if you can hear it. Um, what was they saying? Oh, <laughs> the police refused to say that the two cases were connected, and they actually forbid the families from talking to each other. What? Which is kind of ridiculous. Like. Uh, I don't know. I they see just... where they wouldn't want them to feed off of each other. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I, I I could see, too, how things can get marred and muddied as mm -hmm. the more people talk. But then again, there can also be some nuggets of information that would be valuable. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um. But it's unfortunate because, like, they, they really wanted to. They wanted to get in touch with each other and be like, how are our daughters connected, blah, 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 help each other. But the police said, nope. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, time goes by. The cases aren't really moving at all. And then in February of 1986 is when the two boys on bikes found a Jane Doe. She was 20 to 30 years old. And... Um, then they found a th another victim on the same day, um, only a few yards away. And this was a um, Janet Doe. So they're Jane and Janet Doe. Hmm. Um, both were laid on their backs. Um, Jane Doe was shot with a twenty two caliber gun in the spine. Ooh. Um, and the other one, she was the only one with a gunshot wound. The others were like trauma kind of mm -hmm. injuries and then laura miller's body was found from and they were able to identify her through dental records but they didn't know who these other two women were mm -hmm. um and laura's father tim had asked the cops to look in the spot that she was found like years earlier but they or yeah, I don't know if it was years, but he had asked them to look there at uh -huh. some point and they hadn't. Oh, I literally wrote it down in the next sentence. So <laughs> she was there 17 months. So 17 months ago, he was like, it could be here. And they just didn't look there. Yeah. And if they had good. found her earlier, they could have had more evidence. But the deterioration was so bad that there really wasn't much they could do. Right, right. Then they didn't have the DNA technology that they do now, but exactly. they still could have preserved something. Yeah, maybe some traces or clues. I don't know. The killings actually went back as far as 1971. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So two. Well, this is they. They say this after they're admitting that they are linked and and um uh related yeah yeah um because there's getting there's getting more traction about these cases and then when you actually start looking back on it is when this information starts to reveal itself yeah um, so in 1971 two 15 year old girls maria johnson and debbie ackerman 
um, disappeared. They were best friends. They were just hanging out together. And on November 17th of that year, their bodies were found just days after they disappeared. So they were actually found pretty quickly. Um, They were found in a pond. And so the water, even though they were found quickly, the water really deteriorates your body really quickly. So there again, there wasn't much evidence to go off of. On November 26th, the body of a 13-year-old Colette Wilson was found in a reservoir. Reservoir? I don't know. Reservoir. Okay. <laughs> I think it's like either either, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and this was 10 miles west of Houston. And as it turns out, there were seven young teenage girls who had gone missing during that time, alone seven. or in pairs. Hmm? Um, and from 1971 to 1977, on I-45, that one stretch, yeah. um, 11 total girls were murdered and dumped with, like, no answers, no clues. And it was complicated because there were 11 different jurisdictions and the police were not sharing information with each other. So though the areas were close to each other, the killer was apparently careful enough to be just beyond jurisdiction lines with a lot yeah. of them. And then in the with the killings in the 80s, the killer had moved farther down that I-45. So on the same interstate, but like farther down to Galveston, Texas. Um, and this is where a woman named Marla comes into the story. She uh, was a teenager at the time in the 80s. Her mother's new boyfriend's name was Clyde Hedrick. And... Clyde went to dancing contests at bars and he often won and was very charming. And that's how he met Marla's mother. Um, he had moved to Texas for that construction boom that was happening that you talked about that you mentioned. Um, and Clyde had a lot of things going on. He had a record. Um, he had gone to prison for abuse of a corpse. Oh, um, was involved in a mysterious death of a woman named Ellen Deason. Can, can we talk about... Yes. So, the crime, abuse of a corpse, mm -hmm. is, first of all, in a way, like, how can you abuse a corpse? Well, I kind of know because of watching crime stuff. Yeah. But at this, on the other hand, it's like... um we kind of have no morals when it comes to many things. So the fact that we still hold people responsible for mishandling a corpse kind of surprises me. Yeah. You yeah. know, I'm surprised that it's an actual illegal thing because mm -hmm. of the um, leniency and things like that and the moral corruption that we have now in our society in this day yeah. and age mm -hmm. okay so uh, just my two on. cents <sighs> okay so 
Ellen Beeson had gone missing in July 1984, which was three months before Laura went missing. Okay. And Ellen lived in Friendswood, Texas. She was in her 20s. She liked dancing, and she and a friend went to a bar called the Texas Moon, where she met Clyde. And she went missing that night, that very night. And her friends had asked Clyde where she went. And he said that Ellen left in a truck with some friends. Liar. Yeah, exactly. Her <laughs> friends are like, we're the ones asking the questions. She didn't leave with us. Like, yeah. How could you say that? Um, And he was being pressured. And he said, fine, I'll show you where she is. And he drove her friend Candy to some empty field and showed her his uh, the remains of Ellen Beeson. This was six months later. Six months after her disappearance. Um, Ellen was still wearing that necklace that she had worn to the club that night or the bar. Um, And his story was that they were swimming in this pond that was next to the field and she drowned. And he couldn't tell that she was drowning because it was late and it was dark until it was too late. And he panicked and like dumped her because he was like, oh, what if they think it was me? So... He left her under a sofa like trash in the middle of a field. And if it's truly an accident, you're a normal person or a not guilty person. Their first reaction would be, oh, my gosh, and to get help. Yeah. People, you can tell when you've drowned, when a body is drowned. First of all, there'll be like water in your lungs and everything. And yeah. Yeah. Um. The cause and manner of her death, however, could not be determined. So abuse of corpse was the only thing they could really get him on. Mm. And he got one year in prison and a fee of $2,000 for that. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, That's... my gosh. Yeah. Really? He got off easy, for sure. Yeah. Well, Clyde. I don't know what I feel like the maximum sentence for abuse of corpse should be, but, like, it just does not seem like much. No. Like Even- I said, though, again, I'm surprised that there, they are people are being held responsible for it, to be yeah. honest. But- and I wonder if it's different in different states or if that's, like, a federal... Yeah, I law. hear of it quite often, so, but I don't know. That's a good... That's a good... Yeah. Uh, Something to, to look up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even more coincidentally, quote unquote, the bar that Ellen met Clyde in, the Texas Moon, was the same bar as the other victim, Heidi, worked at. Oh. So, <laughs> people are disappearing from the payphones. The he clearly yeah. saw Heidi at the bar. Um yeah. yeah. It's adding up. In most people's minds. And another connection, Laura Miller lived on the same street as Clyde. And her father, Tim, had even helped him change, like, a tire once. Mm. I was like, hey, you need help with that? Like, they they weren't friends, but, like, they talked to each other one time. Yeah. So now all these signs are kind of pointing towards clyde but um 
somebody else becomes a suspect. His name's Robert Abel. He was... How does he become a suspect? I shall tell you. (laughs) (laughs) He was a scientist for NASA that helped create the Saturn rocket that got astronauts to the moon. So he's a very smart guy. Um, Mm -hmm. But he became a suspect because he owned the land where these bodies were being Oh, and it was probably socially awkward too. Yeah, it's probably a little bit creepy. Poor guy. <laughs> I just associate braining. Yeah, <laughs> probably just insulted like a lot of people. All these scientists are like, "Excuse me." They probably don't listen to us, though. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Sorry, any NASA scientists? Yeah. Um, um, we just went to, I'll just say we just went to the NASA thing when we were down there visiting you and it was the Kennedy awesome. Space Center Kennedy Space Center yes it really is cool yeah. yeah um and then the FBI had also made a profile saying this person probably lived near the fields had troubled relationships with women and thought themselves superior and was probably very smart so they thought the profile also fit Robert Abel. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was kind of being pinned for it. Yeah. A fourth or another body was found in 1991 on his land, about a hundred yards from the other three. Um, so it was kind of coming more towards him, but he offered to help. He was like, I will do whatever you want. I'll clear the trees on my land if it'll help the search. And he was trying to be helpful, but also people saw it as kind of like he's just wanting to be involved in the case so he can keep an eye on them kind of yeah so not to spoil it but he he didn't do it and this poor guy is getting a lot of crap Mm. for it um he also had three ex-wives and one of them said in the divorce papers that he had threatened to kill her one time and said that he had beat the horses that he owned sometimes so well, it wasn't really looking good for him so maybe he wasn't like an angel but like or yeah. maybe she was wacko yeah um and league city also publicly announced their suspicion of him and they searched his property and they did find articles on the killings human teeth and a 22 caliber gun which is what killed the jane doe but they oh. could not link any of that directly. So it was kind of useless. But yeah. it, like all that was like not looking good for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he also had photos of the spots where the girls were found. But he said, I'm just trying to be cooperative. And I feel awful that it's on my land. And he said, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do in this situation. But I just felt like I should. So... Yeah, it's hard to not look guilty, and I guess right. even when you're not, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, one who is smart enough to be in NASA, you'd think they'd also be smart enough to not have the bodies on their own property. Yeah. Well, he's not putting them there. Other people. No, no, no I meant, I meant the fact that they were looking at him as a suspect, oh. but one would have to think well he can't be dumb enough to do that but then again i guess you know it takes oh yeah i see what you're saying yeah yeah right yeah (laughs) um 
<laughs> at first I thought you were like he's such an idiot for having them there I'm like he didn't oh, I yeah, meant I from like the detective's perspective yeah. that they like, why would why would he do that right yeah and then he's not even burying them if it was his property like just leaving them out yeah, yeah. so that's where we'll stop for part one and okay. then we'll do the rest of this in part two which will come soon because I already have the research Yay. Uh, okay. I'm Emily. I'm Catherine. And this is Macabre Minds. See you next time. Woo.